Hello everyone, our guest today is Farah Ather. Farah started her career in top agency recruitment companies before moving in-house. She's worked as a contractor at Love Holidays, Upfield and Sky. We discuss agency culture, moving from agency to in-house, our job searches during lockdown and redundancy, and her experience as a contractor. I'm your host Jose and this is the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. Okay, perfect. We're recording now. Hello, Farah. How are you? Yeah, great. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. And really looking forward to, to this call. Um, you know, we've spoken before. And uh, the thing is, you have such an interesting career trajectory, you know, starting from, from agency and then doing doing some contracting. Um, and now, you know, working at, uh, you know, you're working in house now, or you're going to be working soon. So, you know, you've, you've experienced recruitment from a lot of a lot of different areas and and sort of points of view. So I really wanted to unpack uh, your experience and and your story, but also what you're passionate about um, in this call. So thank you so much for for taking the time. No, my pleasure. Any opportunity to talk about myself, I'll uh, I'll take it. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I guess just to begin with, uh, you know, uh, an intro to yourself, can you maybe give us an introduction to to who you are and, and what you do? Yes, so I am a um, traditionally trained tech recruiter. Um, I started in 2014 um, agency recruitment. Uh, And yeah, it was, I'd learned about recruitment from friends and, you know, what they were doing. And I was like, yeah, I definitely want to get into that. So yeah, I started agency recruitment in central Edinburgh. and then joined the, the 360 life. Uh, and then I moved more to the candidate side and more of a candidate focus because I just realized I enjoyed it more. Um, so that's kind of where I focused my career. Um, and then I moved to London at the end of 2017. Um, and yeah, I just, it, it was great. I'd started in, you know, I was working in the city, you know, my office was right behind the the walkie-talkie and it was you know I was I was living the London dream and um, that was agency as well um, and yeah uh, I made the decision kind of at 18 months into it that I wanted to move into more account management because I realized okay right I enjoy the candidate side and I enjoyed the relationship building I want to do this in-house but that was tough you know I had so many rejections because you know people were saying oh we want internal experience and then I got an account management role that didn't work out as planned. And then I found myself looking for work again. And then um, my recruiter told me about a contract job. It was a three month gig. Um, It was in house. And I was like, absolutely. (laughs) Like, tell me all about it. Um, And then that's when I started my in-house career. So that was at the end of 2019. Um, Within two weeks of me starting that contract, they had already extended me for a further three months. Um, And, you know, we we had talked about me going permanent afterwards, but COVID happened, the dreaded C. I was hoping I wouldn't have to drop the C-bomb this quickly, but yes. Um, And... um, yeah, my contract got ended early because I was working in the holiday industry. Um, so I found myself looking again and just off the back of the same recruiter that placed me in um, in the holiday company, he within two weeks, he had me in another business, six-month contract. Um, 
moving away from the kind of tech that I was used to, but really, you know, helping build out that business. And then that ended um, earlier than <laughs> earlier than expected again. So I was there, I got extended, I'm supposed to be there for a year, but you know the companies um the company changed a little bit so they ended my contract after seven months but I kind of did myself a little bit out of a job there because I filled all their headcount and they didn't have any more headcount um and all the all the other equipment was frozen um and then yeah and then off the back of that I just asked so many people I just reached out to every person I could think of you know are they looking for people and that's how I find myself in Sky where I'm at right now and another three-month contract um and I just think the last you know year has been tough for everyone so I made it my kind of mission to get a permanent job and um, so I managed to secure one about seven weeks ago where I start in a week and a half so yeah um, I'll be focusing on 100% tech in this new company as I have been at Sky. Um, so yeah, it's been really exciting to kind of get back to what I know. So yeah, high level, but that's kind of where I'm at so far. Well, congratulations on the uh, on the new role, and in, and I kind of feel like you found um, almost, I suppose, exactly what what you were looking for. You know, like fully in house, um, internal, permanent type type role, right? And I suppose it's, um, you know, it's it's also with like a, a younger company, you know, it's building out processes. So, yeah, it's quite exciting. Yeah, they've never had a recruiter before. So that's the mm-hmm. dream right there where I get to put in all the processes. Well, you know, the, the thing I wanted to, to mention is that um, you and I, like, I suppose, like a lot of recruiters out there, um, a few things. I mean, obviously, we made the jump from, uh, like agency recruitment to to in-house. Um, and then not just that, but we had to also, you know, look for new opportunities um, during that sort of COVID, um, you know, uh, peak period, right? I mean, it was, you know, at least in my case, I was made redundant. Um, so I was, I, was, I was made redundant, I think it was in um, June, I want to say something, you know, somewhere in that period. And that was just the bottom of the, the, the pit, you know, when it came to, to, to COVID and the impact it had on, on the recruitment function. Um, and no one was really hiring recruiters, you know, so if you got a role, it was, it was, it was, it was almost a miracle. I mean, hopefully it was more than that, you know, hopefully it was because, you know, we, we were competent during the interviews and, and, and we're skilled, but also, you know, I mean, there's so many people out there, at least at that time that we're looking. So, you know, it's kind of a blessing, you know, at least in, in, in a certain way to, to find a role during that period. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, but I think that the, the biggest thing is just staying on top of it. It was so easy to just get sucked in and be like, right, this is it. And, you know, you, I, it got to a point where I just had to turn the news off for a little while. It's like, right, I just need to focus on, you know, just, just, not spiraling and it's easy to do especially when you're just getting application after application rejections yeah I think you do need to be quite resilient but I think as recruiters we are taught to take rejection really well oh yeah (laughs) yeah and I think yeah I think um 
And yeah, if I didn't have that background, I think it's easy to to kind of be like, well, maybe it's me. <laughs> like, mm. well, why, why did I get made redundant? Like, what, why, what's happening? And you know, I don't know if you were like this, but um, you know, when when you started your job, but you also you look at people's CVs differently because you actually kind of um refer it to yourself and your journey and you're like okay well that person you know had a few short roles maybe it's not because of them maybe it's you know we don't know what their journey is so I actually give people a lot more um um a lot more time as a than I would have done before but like now they look a bit jumpy I'm not going to call them but then that's how people were probably looking at me so it's made me definitely a lot more open yeah, well, you know, before it was like, oh, you know, this person has maybe a gap in their CV or they had a few short stints. But then after after going through that COVID process, you're like, well, you know, I mean, they probably had stuff going on or yeah. the company made redundancies or whatever it is. So, yeah, you know, I mean, don't don't judge a book by its cover or don't don't judge a person by their their LinkedIn profile. Right. Just, you know, take the time to to understand their, you know, their situation, their background and their needs. Um so, so just a couple of questions off the back of that, but, you know, first, first one, and, and like a very common question that, um, that, that, that people ask me to, to ask during these, these, these podcasts is, so you made the jump from, um, from agency to, to in-house, right? Um, mm-hmm. What was that, what was that like, you know, what were the, the main sort of key differences that you, that you noticed straight away? Um. The biggest thing was you you can't hide. So, you know, your hiring manager can probably see where, you know, they can see the back of your head, you know, and and if you were taking a little bit longer to find a profile or you were struggling or, or, or everything, you couldn't just almost pass it off with an email and then just close your emails down that person knew where you worked <laughs> like they could they could they could come and get you whenever they like put you up put you on the spot and you had to be ready with an answer every single time and I would that was that that was the biggest learning curve for me especially uh, I know it's a little bit different because my last two contracts were were remote um my at love holidays that was that was you know the biggest thing the managers would just come and find you even if you were on the even if you were on your lunch you would chew <laughs> it yeah and, and they would be like oh um where are the cvs you know have you where, where are you at with the search and I'm like okay don't eat with my mouth full but you know like there was no escaping them so that was one one thing and I remember my manager at, at, um, at that business laughing at me <laughs> he was actually because he's done that transition and he was like what's it how does it feel like that you can't run and hide mm. from the and I was like well they can't get me in the toilets but, <laughs> but sometimes they did <laughs> like they would catch you when you were washing your hands yeah yeah um, yeah and that so that was that was just like right so I need to be accountable a hundred percent whereas I am I'm ashamed to admit that in agency if I couldn't if I couldn't find a developer that was really tough to find and a manager was looking for a unicorn it's so easy in agency to be like I'm just gonna accidentally forget to reply to that email 
and then you know you know you're losing out of money but you're just a bit like that's going to take a lot of effort so I can you can't just brush it off and then you'll be like oh I'll just get another client that I can fill a more easier job for I I am you know I'm ashamed to admit that I did that but any recruiter who says they didn't do that is lying (laughs) yeah well you know it's um that's that's also one thing that I that I learned I mean on on the one hand uh, you know it's it's a blessing and and also a bit of a challenge right because the manager is right there. Um, they're looking over your shoulder and they're scrutinizing every profile you sent to them, the volume of profiles. Um, but also, you know, like, you know, you have the manager right there, you know, so you can ask advice, you can yes. get feedback really quickly. So, you know, there's there's a pros and cons situation Absolutely. there also. Um, yeah. The yeah. other thing was from the candidate side as well. So once again, you are you are 100% responsible for that individual and they as far as they're concerned you're the person that brought you into the business so any questions that they have about sickness um the amount of people that I had placed at that business who would call me when they were calling in sick and I'm a bit like have you called your manager <laughs> like you know and it was just something I had never experienced and you know if they weren't happy if they were struggling, if the job wasn't what they expected it to be, you had, it was you, you were the person that had to deal with it. You had to, you know, well, me, sorry. I had to speak to them. I had to kind of like talk them, talk them around, just really understand. And I, you know, you're, a, you, I turned into a, a little bit of a counselor at times as well. And yeah. I've never experienced that, you know, you qualify candidates, you speak to them, you make sure that they're happy. You do a follow-up call afterwards during the business. You know, you just make sure that you're happy. And then after, once again, an agency, after they hit their three-month rebate period, you're like, all right, cool, that's fine, bye. You know, that's it. And that person is essentially no longer your responsibility. But in-house, you, once again, you are there all the time. Uh, you know I'll turn around and I'll have like three people but like just sat stood beside me at my desk and I'm like hi guys <laughs> you know can I help you and yeah. and they had come to say that they hadn't been paid and I was oh, a bit okay. like, yeah just little things like that and they although they know that well actually they don't they don't know that I'm not involved with payroll they, well, they you know, here's the thing like um in a lot of companies, and I think um, it, it doesn't matter the size. Sometimes um, recruitment and HR get get mixed up a lot of times. Um, all, all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people don't know. Like, there's there's actually a, a distinction. You know, like HR or a people function is a very internal thing, whereas yeah. recruitment is everything is like very outbound, external, headhunting. Like, there's there they're like there's some commonalities but ultimately they're they're different roles you know um but people don't know that so i've also i can relate to that like i've had people come to me with like very hr sort of type questions about benefits or um you know uh, well-being onboarding Mm -hmm. or people just play straight up just referring to me as hr oh jose you're Mm -hmm. hr right so (laughs) well well let me correct you there you know so i can relate to that but it's quite funny before 
when I was once again when I was in agency if somebody referred to me as being in HR I'd be a little bit like oh how dare you yeah. <laughs> I'm a recruiter <laughs> but yeah. but actually you, you know that but what I found when I when I moved in house is that there is such a blurred line and I I have always sat with HR I've always sat in the HR department um you know I've been involved in all those meetings but then I just take a little bit of a step back I'm like okay if it's not to, if it's nothing to do with employment then that's fine you know I know I'm, I actually learned a lot more about employment law now as well because once again in-house you actually need to know that and um whereas an agency I just wash my hands of it and you know and, and I'm like oh that's someone else's problem but I had to deal with like disciplinaries because I was part of the recruitment team and I was like but but why? why? <laughs> you know, this is, I just didn't, it was something I didn't expect to be involved in. Um, but yeah, there's a, I do feel like the lines are, are more and more blurred between recruitment and HR now. I don't know if you find that in your business as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely in a smaller company, um, you're going to be in a situation where one person needs to be a jack of all trades, right? Like in a bigger company, you can have very specialized functions. Um, but, um, at least from what I've seen, uh, a recruiter needs to also be a people expert in some cases, right. Or the other way around, like they, you know, a smaller company might get their, their, uh, ahead of people first, that's going to yeah. be doing some recruitment. And then when recruitment really ramps up and the head of people is too busy to with, with everything, then it's like, okay, we need a recruiter. Right. So it starts very like, you know, people doing general you know, jack of all trades type yeah. responsibilities, and then slowly becoming more more specialized. But then um, you've literally just described the company that I'm joining. So <laughs> that is like word for word <laughs> what they were doing. <laughs> was there anything um, that that I suppose motivated you to 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 go in house? You know, when you made that decision, was it more like you know really being sort of candidate focused or? Um, you know, I mean, there's the obvious one, like, you know, agency culture, stuff like that. Was there anything sort of motivating you? I realized that agency recruitment is, you know, you have to have some seriously thick skin. And because I didn't enjoy the business development side of it, I actually found myself just really nurturing the clients that I liked. And Funnily enough, those are the places that I had the most um, control over. I had the best relationships with them. I did the most placements. I ended up being their, um, their what's the word? The word has lost me. Um, exclusive recruiter. Um, and then I just kind of thought, well, yeah, because I know that business like the back of my hand. Like I can sell that company to anyone, even without a job spec. That, you know, the one the one company that comes into mind, you know, they did augmented reality and simulation software. It's literally my fa- the favorite company, most favorite company I've ever recruited for an agency. And um, I basically placed their entire technical team. And then I realized, I was just like, I enjoyed that more than, than the, the, the business development side. And, you know, even in agency, I really, it was really torn. I was really torn because I was surrounded by, you know, through and through agency recruiters that basically said, oh, they would talk about people that you know and 
they'll be like, oh, so-and-so's gone in-house. Oh, yeah, that's where field, that's where field recruiters um, go to die. That That is what I heard, uh, you know, my first five years of, of, recru- of recruiting. I don't know if you ever had that. Yeah, you know what? I mean, you know what? Let me tell you a story. Like um, at, a, at an agency we were working at. Um, so here's the thing, right? Like um, at agency, um, if you're like a junior, maybe mid-recruiter, um, so at least this was my experience, but you'd get 23K base, maybe 25K base, and then everything else is like, okay, you need to make the rest in commission, right? Yeah. Um, so, and then we, you know, it, it was this company and everyone was struggling and uh, we, you know, definitely we had some headaches um, and I had this colleague, um, great recruiter, but, you know, couldn't do a new business to save his life mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, couldn't open a door basically um and uh you know it was a year of, of struggling for him you know and yeah. then this he he found an internal role and this role paid like 50k base mm-hmm. and paid a little bit on top in commission like 10 percent, not commission like bonus right yeah. like a 10 percent, i think 20 percent bonus and then when that happened like you know i think everyone pretty much shot up when uh, with with the discussion around oh you know like in-house is for losers or whatever it is because everyone realized like oh so what this guy would be making in base is what i make in commission you know if you're lucky (laughs) honestly the myths were like oh yeah if you if you work really hard you can make six figures i'm like okay you can make six figures after doing it for maybe five to six years like and that's if you basically sell your soul (laughs) yeah pretty much i i I, out out of all of my recruitment friends i can honestly say i only know a handful that makes six figures the rest earn well but no more than than myself has gone in house um yeah i had i had this you know i knew this colleague and this colleague was he was making good money like i think not like not six figures, but like he was still like earning good commission, and uh, and he was a top performer and and a good guy. Like he wasn't a bully or anything. Yeah. And at one point, his hair started falling off. Like he like that's like out of the blue, and we were like, oh snap! Like that's the level of stress you need to go through to to you know bring in good money, right? Because he was doing like you know starting early, finishing late. Um, he was doing tons of calls, tons of dials, tons of phone time. And that's that's when he started doing, you know, good money. But, you know, when we started noticing, okay, this, you know, the stress is like getting to him health-wise. And, you know, that's, you kind of need to then balance things out. Like, okay, is, you know, is it worth, you know, sacrificing my health almost? This is kind of the question there. Yeah. Well, Jose, let's just say I've been going gray since I started <laughs> <laughs> yeah well to be fair in-house is also quite um it's it's a stress but i would say it's um it's a it's a healthier stress i think Absolutely. um you know it's i think and this this is what i what i say always is like at least you can you can sleep well at night knowing that you did the right thing and that you're not cheating anyone double crossing you know um uh, overselling a, a candidate or a business mm-hmm or just playing games with someone's CV or anything along those lines. No, you're doing honest work. You're, you know, you're committed to bringing in the right people. 
because you got to live with that. You know, you're working at a company where these people are going to be working with you uh, side by side. You know, you're going to bring them in and then they're going to be next to you. Um, And if if they're not happy, then you're the the first person that they're going to come through with with questions. Right. Um, And then there's the flip side, because if if they are happy and you see them succeed, then that's like the best the best feeling, you know, when you, you know, when you bring someone in and, and a couple of months later, the hiring manager tells you, oh, this person, they're like the ultimate performer. They're doing well. They yeah. are overachieving. Then it's like, yeah, you know, it's I like, was there, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well done to me. You are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one thing that I wanted to, to, to bring up is, um, you know, once you're, once you're in-house, you know, candidate, the candidate journey really becomes, Maybe one of the most important things, if if not the most important thing, right? Because yeah. a good candidate journey means the person is much more likely to accept your offer in the end, um, mm-hmm. to or to leave a positive review online, um, and it also impacts how they start. You know, because if they have a pleasant experience, then the onboarding, the first three months, gets gets a lot better. Um, so I wanted to check, like you know, since since starting in house and and maybe even during your agency days, what's been sort of your approach to to improving candidate experience and the journey overall? Yeah, I think I I always had a really strong focus on candidate journey. And I think because in the back of my head, I always had this thought that recruiters have bad raps. People, you know, associate us with like exactly like you were saying, lying, misleading them, mis-selling a position, doing all this. So I just had the approach where I was black and white. I went in, I didn't, I didn't do the recruiter dance. <laughs> I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Without, you know, you, you, you try and be their friend. I would approach it uh, like a business opportunity because that's what it is. Um, you know, it's an opportunity to, for them to progress their career, I mean, you know, but it is reciprocal. And I think that I've always had people say that they preferred that approach. And in the end, I did become friends with these people, even when I was in house, uh, sorry, when I was in agency, because I would, I would keep them up to date, I would, I would, and I know it's hard to do, but I would do putting diary reminders to myself, um, you know, that I, um, you know, um, drop so and so an email, tell them how their application's going, or I'll give them a call, um, just, just to keep them engaged. But it's a it's a balance because you don't want to then call them too much to tell them nothing (laughs) you know oh it's a you know I know we spoke yesterday but still no feedback you know every every two days or so but it's just to remind them that you you do remember them because one of the and I've had I've experienced this myself but one of my pet peeves is when you send an application in the, you, you know the recruiter calls you you have a great chat about it and then they're like all right cool yeah let me send you cv and then two weeks pass and you're about like oh i haven't heard anything about that job let me give the recruiter a quick call you call the recruiter they don't pick up the phone and then within seconds of you putting down your phone they've emailed you to tell you that you were unsuccessful the job's been filled they went with someone else they went with a different direction I'm like okay well why didn't you tell me that two weeks ago you know you if I hadn't called that recruiter I would have heard nothing and I think I just I never want to be responsible 
for somebody having a bad experience. So I think I always try and keep people engaged, give them as much information as I can, and also just make ensure I maintain that. But when I was in house, sorry, I keep on saying in house, when I was an agency, um, I did, uh, you know, I would probably stop it after the three months, but then I would check in, maybe just drop them a LinkedIn message. Hey, how's things? How are you getting on? You know, just making sure you're, you know, let me know if you need anything. But I didn't do it. I only did it for people who I felt who would appreciate it. I'm sure you know tech, some technical people, they're like, why why are you still messaging me? They're like, you've done your job. <laughs> like, I don't want to be your friend. Um, and you just have to gauge that. You just have to gauge that from people's from people's um um just how they how they want to interact with you and respect that. But yeah, I I've gained such good relationships with some of my candidates. A couple that I haven't even placed. There, there's one that I use as, as an example in terms of not onboarding, but just just how you should treat your candidates. But I helped one guy um, relocate from Brazil, and he moved his entire family. And um, I I helped them with where what areas he should look at. That I you know I, I figured out best schools for his kids. I didn't need to do that. You know, I didn't. I didn't need to do any of that. But I was like, well, you know, he doesn't know, and who else is he? Who else has he got to ask? He ended up moving to Glasgow. Um, you know, he's still there. He moved. I didn't place him in the end. He got another job. But um, but so I didn't make any money off that. But I moved to London. I probably he probably moved to the to Scotland in 2016, and he was in London in um I want to say 2019 and um he he still had my number he gave me a call he was like oh hey I'm in I'm in um, London with my family I know you've moved here you know do you want to grab a coffee and that's the kind of relationships I want with people and you do that by not messing them around giving them all the information and just it's actually just so much easier rather than having to fabricate information that is actually just making your life much more difficult um and and also just being accessible as well you know within reason you know if somebody tries to call me at midnight that <laughs> I probably draw the line up there um but yeah I think having that journey and a lot of the times especially in house now people take the job because they were like you did such a good job or you know you sold the company really well you gave me a really good experience and you know you made me want to join the business and that's in-house I think that's so important because if a candidate doesn't like you they're not they're they're not going to join the business some some will look past that but a lot will just be like oh no I just don't get a good feeling from that person and I've done it myself um you know I've not liked um I've just not got a good feeling from my recruiter so I've just withdrawn myself from the process or I've just been like oh you know, sorry, I'm not, you know, I've got another job. Um, so yeah, I think it is just, just keeping them informed, not trying to play any games, and almost staying away from the classic recruiter stereotype as much as you can. Um, that's, that's, that's kind of how I do my candidate journey. Um, I don't know if yours is, is if yours is similar. No, it's pretty much the same. I mean, you know, at every stage of 
of the interview process, just making sure maybe if you can prepare them and then after the interview, debrief them to understand, okay, what were the hiccups? What was the, uh, you know, was there anything we can improve? How did you feel you do that sort of stuff? Um, And, uh, you know, just keeping that touch at every step of the way. And then once you, if you need to reject them, right, then obviously, you know, be honest, send them a message at least. Um, At least my approach is like, okay, the farther you get into the interview, the more personalized the rejection needs to be. You know, if Mm -hmm. if it's like, okay, you know, phone screen, but then after the the recruiter phone screen, um, you know, you might realize that they're not a fit, then send them an email. But obviously, if a candidate makes it to the final stage or, or, you know, any any farther you know where they've put a lot of work into the interview process and then obviously at least give them a call you know spend at least a a couple of minutes 15 20 minutes whatever it is with them and explain okay look um, you know these are the reasons you were rejected but um, it would be absolutely phenomenal if we can stay in touch right because you know long term i mean not just because it's the human thing to do you know just treating each other well but also, you know, I mean, I've, I've had a few cases like, um, you know, a recent case not too long ago where um, we had this this candidate um, in the process at a previous company. Right. And, you know, we we got to a, a far stage with them. We offered the candidates um, and the candidate decided to reject the offer and said that, you know what, I'm going to stay at my current company um, mm. and, uh, you know, I want to give them one more try. Um, and, you know, like, you know, we said, okay, you know, hopefully things go well in your, in your current company. And then after a month or a month and a half, something along those lines, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I get a message from the candidate and he says, hey, you know what, um, it, it's been about, you know, almost two months and I've tried to improve things at my current company. Um, but it seems like, you know, I, either I'm not going to be able to change things or my company won't change. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actively looking and, and you guys were the only ones that I, I really liked interviewing with. So let me know if you still want to talk. Um, and then we ended up placing the person, you know, we ended up hiring them. So um, look, I mean, you got to play the long game, you know, you got to keep okay. people in the loop, you know, keep them in touch with them, even if you reject them or if they reject you, because, you know, it's, you, you can't be only playing the short game you got to think okay long term i'm also going to be needing to make great hires and and you know if there's a long-term win then you know you got to keep an eye and and take that win yeah it's all about building relationships i I couldn't agree with you more but there's this i feel like i'm going to make this statistic up but maybe somebody made it up to me and i just believed it (laughs) um there's this statistic that candidates who interview in a company and then decide to stay in the business that they were thinking about leaving those reasons will stay and they'll normally look for a new job again within three months and that's that's the kind of average I don't know if you if you've heard that yeah I think um I don't know if I read about it in an article or something along those lines but I think that that should exist and and everyone that I've met that has taking a you know that has taken a counter offer from their current company mm. um you know if, if you're deciding to leave it then your company offers you more money to stay then odds are you're gonna end up leaving anyways in in six months right yeah because those problems are gonna stay and then 
okay, six months later, they're not going to give you another raise, right? <laughs> so yeah, all, uh, everything you got left to do is is look for another opportunity. And, uh, and it's unfortunate, right? You could have taken a great chance, a great opportunity when it presented itself to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sometimes people, you know, candidates are just afraid to make a move. So that might be also another, um, another risk. Um, yeah. One thing that I wanted to, to, to discuss was, you know, coming back to to the job search, um, because, you know, as mentioned, you know, we had to look for roles during that, that that peak sort of COVID period, right? I think, mm-hmm. I think for you at least at at um, you know after your agency days, um, you know you started at a new company and then you know quickly uh, you know COVID hit and remote working and then redundancies, and it was the same for me, you know, like in in like early to to mid uh, tw- uh, of of last year, it was a tricky period, and and I'm sure for a lot mm-hmm. of recruiters, so. You know, understanding your job search and and looking for new roles is something quite important that you still need to do as a recruiter. And things have improved somewhat. You know, yeah. I do see a lot of roles posted out there, but it's still good to be be mindful. So, sort of what would be, you know, sort of what's been your your approach to when it's been, you know, time to 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 you know seek a new role and uh, and find the right opportunity. I think. It, it's so difficult especially when you're when you've had such a tough time and you know and and you feel like you get well I know I definitely felt like this over the last year I was just like right okay you know am I, am I gonna am I gonna get a break but it, it's it's either like you just I just jumped straight back on it so for example when my contract got finished early I knew it was coming. Me and my manager had discussed it. And he did say, he was like, look, people aren't allowed to leave the country. And as a, as a holiday company, you know, we're not allowed, we're not going to be hiring. And I was a cost to the business. And I was very pragmatic about that. I completely understood that. And I knew it was coming. So instead of wallowing, I literally, I just picked up the phone, called my recruiter. And I was like, right, this has happened we need to get back on it. So, and this was March COVID, like people were unsure if, you know, we were going to go into lockdown. And then when we went into lockdown, that's when my contract ended. That um, They gave me a couple of weeks notice. Um, but I was like, right, okay. So I have two weeks to find a new job. And we're in the first ever, ever global pandemic of our, like in our lifetime, we've just gone into lockdown. No one even knows what lockdown means. And I was like, right, I need to try and find a job <laughs> in this time. I was like, I'm not allowed to leave my house. You know, um, I'm one of those people, I don't know if you are, but I'm one of those people I don't own my own laptop because I've just always had a company laptop. Um, yeah, I do. I do own one, but it's the worst laptop. It's the <laughs> slowest laptop. I never use it. So I would always use a company laptop and then the thought of going back to that laptop was just scaring me yeah so that was what I was just like right okay so they uh but even though I was on they they gave me two weeks notice I had to hand my laptop back in the the following Monday 
And my manager actually said, he was just like, oh, if you don't feel comfortable going into the office, like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I know, I know you don't have a laptop. So they let me, they let me keep it for an extra couple of days. But I was just like, I need to maximize my time (laughs) with this laptop. Um, And I was like, oh, if I just like bite the bullet and just buy one. And, And yeah, but I just called my recruiters and I called every single person that I knew um, you know, this has happened. Do you know anyone who's looking? And then yet yeah, within a week, I got um I got I got another contract. Um, and that was I was on a mission. And people laugh at me. They're like, you're the ultimate bounce back queen. Like, how how can you <laughs> get a job within two weeks in a in a in a UK lockdown? And I was just like, um, I'm not really sure. I just I just didn't I just called everyone I knew. Um and, and, and it worked out. I, I am still surprised myself <laughs> that I managed to do that. Um, but yeah, I just I just didn't give up. But that was that was almost easy in comparison to the second time round in November, in November last year, when I knew my contract was getting ended. So they gave me a month's notice. So I, I worked my month's notice, which is great because a lot of other companies are like, you're a contractor. We only really need to give you a week legally, but no, they, they, you know, they really valued what I was doing, and it wasn't, it wasn't my management's choice to end my contract. So I had a month. Once again, I was like, all right, I've got a month to find a job, um, or I don't have a laptop afterwards. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of feel like I should probably buy one now, but I've, you know, I've got a new job, so maybe next time. Um, but. Um, it was definitely harder the second time round because we had how long had that been? We had we were in uh, coming up to a third lockdown at that point, so the country was so up and down. So many people furlough existed when it first happened um, in March. Well, you know what? Also, also especially around that November time, I mean, um, it, it, hiring is also a little seasonal, right? I mean, December gets kind of quiet because. Mm. Everyone's on holiday. They take days off. Hiring managers are with the family. And um, uh, although I don't know if maybe COVID sort of flipped that a little bit because everyone's, you know, it, uh, working from home. But at least, you know, was maybe the December period only made it a bit tricky, right? With with the job search and everything. Yeah. But I, it was honestly, it was tough. It was really, really tough. I, ha- I have to, I have to say it. Um, and I know I talk about being resilient. You know, I had to be resilient, but oh, that it was, it, it was just rejection after rejection after rejection. And and I was doing everything. I was, I wasn't just sending off blind CVs. You know, I was messaging the recruiter. I was messaging whoever posted the job. I was doing all this, and I was getting interviews. And I was having, oh, some of the interviews I had, they would suck the life out of you um and to the point where I had one interview one final stage interview and they challenged me on something um that I think is a whole other podcast itself but diversity and inclusion uh and they they basically challenged me on not being diverse enough that that as soon as I got that kind of pushback I was a bit like okay right yeah I don't like this business um but it was it was it it was just so exhausting and I was chatting to my other friends who work in house and 
yeah, they they were talking about how many job applications they've been getting for one job. Um, that's not even recruitment, but that's just other jobs. You know, they were getting in excess of 100 people applying for one job. Um, and it even got to the point where I was like, right, I'm going to apply for junior jobs because I can't, you know, I, I live by myself in zone two in London. <laughs> I was like, I, I need to, I've got bills to pay. <laughs> I can't, you know, I could probably survive for a few months, but it was, it was really tough. And I have to say the only way I kind of got any faith back was just messaging every single person I know. Um, and actually the way I got this contract at Sky that I'm in right now, um, I'd actually applied for a job at Sky, um, sent, sent an application and I knew people, um, so Experis, the agency I worked at, I knew they had the, the, the master vendor agreement for contract, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, there was a woman who I used to work with really in, Ed in the Edinburgh office. We really got along and I thought, oh, I wonder where she is. Bearing in mind, I hadn't spoken to this woman for four years, um, maybe even longer. Um, so I just, I saw, oh, like she's the director of that account now. Let me drop her a message. Straight away, she was like, oh, you know, I applied for this job. Can you give me, can you give me a recommendation? You know, can you, can you speak to the manager or somebody? Um, she, I, I was a bit thrown, but <laughs> thrown off a little bit. I didn't realize she had my number. So she actually just called me as soon as she had seen my message. Um, and she was like, oh, are you looking for work? I'm actually looking for someone for three months. Um, and that's kind of how it happened. Um, and, you know, she was like, you know, what's an account manager told me about the job set up a call with me to speak to um you know the recruitment manager and then yeah that they pretty much just hired me on the spot um but funnily enough I never heard back from my application my actual application to Sky which was the whole reason I had messaged her so it's funny how that works out and you know I think yeah and then I continued my search after it and yeah it was just being as open as possible, um, but it's tough. It's really, really tough. Uh, I, I can't lie. This, you know, that November stint took it took a lot out of me for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it comes back to one thing you said, which is you got to have a tough skin, right? Um, you know, whether you're, uh, you know, looking for a new role or just in recruitment because of the rejection element of it. Uh, you know, it's it's it's. I would say one of the key things you need as a recruiter is just, you know, being able to handle rejections, right? Not yeah. just because of the job hunting element, but it's something you face every day, right? I mean, um, I'm sure you've maybe seen this, you know, when you're working with junior recruiters and you see them getting, um, you know, very upset yeah. or or under pressure and it starts to show, you're like, oof. Either you got to fix that or you're, you're not going to last or you're just going to leave, you know, like the, that's the thing the the industry kind of filters people out. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're someone that's um, emotionally or, um, you know, in terms of your temperament, you're very volatile and you're very sensitive, then, mm -hmm. you know, it might be a very tricky one to, to really stay in the industry. Yeah. I think I, I definitely had to adapt how I vented um 
because I'm, you know, I'm Scottish and, you know, we have that reputation of being quite passionate and also having foul language and I tick those boxes. Um, but I had to, I had to really, uh, it, it was people who told me, they were like, oh, you can't really act like that. You know, okay, we well, you know you're upset, but, and I would get so angry and I had to, I had to just bring it back. And, you know, now I'm, I'm I think I'm on my eighth year now, ninth, oh, maybe ninth year of recruitment. Um, and now, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, fine. You know, that happens. It's annoying. Whereas before I would have, I would have like absolutely blown my lid. <laughs> hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, you got to be able to handle the pressure, you know, um, yeah. but one thing that I wanted to, to to mention also was because you've you've been doing a few contracts and you went actually from from agency into contracting first, right? Yeah. Um, sort of what's what's the contracting sort of experience like? You know, how's how's um, how how do you maybe even negotiate a contract? You know, I got a lot of people that um, you know a lot of recruiters that might consider the contract route, but sort of what's that? What's that like? And sort of, you know, what can you tell us about that? Um, I I have to say, I wouldn't, uh, it was my window in-house mm. and it was a massive risk. However, I, I recognized that I wasn't desirable um, to a lot of permanent positions because they wanted someone with in-house experience. Whereas, you know, contractor and uh, um, contract, they want people to do a job. They, they need quick and fast recruitment. Um, you know, there, there's less handholding. There's a lot. There's a lot less of that. Um, you know, and they just want someone with some urgency. And I think that's what we're taught in agency, right? We're, we're taught to to the, the importance of urgency. And um, yeah, so I I definitely wouldn't change it. The only thing that I would say is your it's a contract, and and the one thing that has taught me over my last three contracts, actually. I've, I've, in my career, I've had three contracts. Every single one, talk about, you know, the managers that manage me, they set your expectations and, you know, they're like, you're doing a great job. We want to take you on permanent, you know, let's, let's just get up into your contract, you know, close to your contract ending. We'll talk about permanent opportunities. There's definitely a lot going on. And you're kind of like, oh yeah, this is great. This is great. And I fell fell for it twice um, Mm. because, you know, my first one, they, you know, I still keep in touch with that manager. You know, we still text now because so we did have a good relationship um, but then, you know, when the country shut down, no one's allowed to travel. They're trying to save the business. So you're about like, oh, right, okay. Um, you know, you can't, you, you just can't go back to that business. So that's out of your control. And because you're a cost to the business, you're the first person to go. And unfortunately, the same thing happened to me in my second contract. You know, you do a great job. You're, you're told constantly how valuable you are. And you feel that, you know, you don't feel like they're lying you know, I got my contract extended by six months. Um, and then there's always the, you're, there's always someone who's dictating other stuff to you. You know, once again, I was, I was given the impression, not impression, actually, the words like succession planning, you know, the, the manager that I had, um, 
at that's at that contract was just like right you know I want to take over this region so I so once I do that I want you to take over all of UK and, and Ireland I was like amazing this is great and she was like you know it'll be permanent she had all the plans she wanted to do it but then when you've got the global CFO for the business being like no we're gonna cut every single contractor like carte blanche absolutely everyone and that's it you know so as you you are dispensable but you, but <clears throat> I I understood that yes I am a cost to the business and I think I think that was the one thing that I struggled with because I want I wanted to see it through and I wanted to do all that so yeah I would say the difference the positive is I would never have got internal had it not been for that so I'm so grateful and also it taught me so many different ways of recruitment dealing with managers different areas that I've never recruited in either um you know moving out of my my technical comfort zone but you are dispensable and I think it is just and not in a bad way like but you need to remember you are a cost to the business um but on but also on that I think that this kind of one of the questions that you were asking is um I think a lot of people see day rate contracts and also um fixed term contracts um I'm fortunate enough that you know I have accountants and my family I'm Asian so it would be ridiculous if I did not have an accountant in my family <laughs> so <laughs> Um, and I spoke to them about that you know I was like well you know I've been given the option do I do day do I do I ask for a day rate or do I do fixed term contract and we looked at it and you know with all this IR35 regulations coming in um, you know that's basically restricting contractors from making loads of money um, you know there was you had to think about potentially you know what am I going to do am I going to set up a limited company am I going to go umbrella company do I need an accountant you know all do I need to hire someone all of these things and I think at that point it was yeah I probably could have earned a little bit more money if I went um day rate but it it, I wanted to just kind of focus on on my in-house career I didn't want to have to think about doing timesheets getting an accountant, setting up a limited company, speaking to an umbrella company, all of that stuff. So I, I always opted to go for fixed term contracts um, and it definitely worked out because you're still getting benefits. A lot of the time I still got paid holiday. Um, actually, not every single fixed term contract that you get, actually, you have to get your crew holiday. So I accrued holidays, you know, your your um in my second contract, I actually had con- a pension contribution. It's little things like that. And, you know, I know probably by the time you and I are allowed to retire, we're probably going to be in our 90s. So, but every penny counts with that pension. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but I think I think that's that was definitely a personal choice for me to go fixed term and to basically be a payroller. Um, but some people do look at that I think yeah to me the 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 benefits um going day rate just didn't offset the hassle uh, you know it, it's it's so marginal the, the difference um but I mean if someone was offering me a 500 pounds a day contract I'd probably jump at that <laughs> but unfortunately they're not paying that um 
so yeah I think it is very personal um and I, I chose to go fixed term well, yeah, you see that also, you know, you're, you're also recruiting a lot in tech, right? So you see it a lot in the market right now, developers that, you see, you know, they're looking that, that have like a contractor type background yeah. and now they're applying to permanent jobs or, you know, you reach out to them with a permanent role and yeah. they're happy to have a discussion. So, yeah, who knows? I don't know how, how contracting is going to develop, but it's going to be interesting to see if it's still sort of attractive because of the money side of things, right? Um, yeah. All I've got to say is they it, it's it's insane the deductions that they're because mm. all I deal with is contractors at Sky. Um, yeah, the deductions I think a lot of them will go permanent. Um, it will average out, but yeah, <laughs> they're basically getting full full deductions, so tax and national insurance and employee le um, apprentice levy. Um, so yeah, they're they're getting a triple hit right there. You know, you you know a lot about the contracting side of things. I might need to ask you a few questions after after the podcast. Um, more oh, around yeah. like how to how to how to employ contractors at a at a company and uh, and the do's and don'ts. So that's that's maybe one thing I'll I'll drop you a line for. Um, so Farah, for more information about yourself, if someone wants to connect and 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 say hi, where can they find you? Like any classic recruiter, LinkedIn. I think any recruiter that doesn't have a LinkedIn page, I, I, I'm concerned about. So yeah, definitely catch me on LinkedIn. Um, I will also be um, contactable at my new business. So I'm going to be the the tech lead for Radix DLT, which is a Bitcoin company. So I'm going to be joining them. So email address for that is farah at radixdlt.com. So super simple um so yeah hopefully hopefully absolutely anything i love just help if even if i just help someone going in the right direction if they just want to ask a question just anything at all as you can see i thoroughly enjoy talking so i'll happily i'll happily answer any questions absolutely and for the listeners i'll leave the uh contact details your contact details farah in the episode description so you can find them there um thank you farah it was uh, you know it was such a fun discussion with you and um, it's good to have a little rant about 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 you know agency recruitment and then sort of our switch to to in-house and the job search and uh, and you know now you got a new role and a new um almost like a new beginning right because now you're fully sort of in-house uh with a with a great company so um you know wishing you all the best at at your new opportunity and uh you know who knows hopefully we can catch up a few months from now just to touch base on you know what it's like to to be the first recruiter at a at a at a tech company you know yeah no definitely that would be amazing thank you so much i'm so i'm so glad that you know people are doing this because i think it all well you are doing this sorry not people <laughs> um, but um, yeah, because I just think people just don't really understand exactly what, what us as recruiters do and how we're affected. So yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. If you want to connect with Farah, then feel free to connect with her via LinkedIn. Her contact details are in the episode description. If you like this episode, then please subscribe or follow. Thanks again and stay safe.